So right now, what we do is we start from a keyword. We look at the SERPs. We check who's ranking and what type of content they've created. We try to do something better. We like to go beyond Google. Sometimes I like to look at YouTube, TikTok, Reddit, and Quora. Uh, so mm -hmm. I just Google the, the specific keyword with each platform at the end in Google. And I try to hang out where the users hang out, try to look at the language they speak, try to identify their pain points and more specifically how they phrase certain questions. And all of this goes into, into that brief. I think it's so easy nowadays to create content. Like anyone can go to ChatGPT, put in a prompt and bam, you have a, a full-fledged article. So we're constantly thinking about how can we make our content even more valuable. And we like to reach out to subject matter experts and ask them for quotes. We always try to incorporate these like nuggets of information and we try to, to ask experts or people who have first-hand experience with something. We ask them for their opinions and we include those in our briefs that then go to the freelance writer so they can organically incorporate those when they're writing the article. Every SaaS company plays for high stakes, but what does it take to dominate the market right now? Welcome to Paris Talks Marketing, the podcast where we dive deep into the latest trends and strategies in SaaS marketing that are really working today. I'm your host, Paris, and our guests are SaaS CMOs, founders, and specialists, and we discuss one trendy topic in the industry per episode. Ready to unlock the true power of marketing strategy? In this theme, we'll explore the world of cutting-edge marketing strategies and tactics that are shaking up the SaaS industry. We'll share insights on testing new tactics and uncover the latest developments from digital landscape giants like Google, Facebook, and LinkedIn. We'll also explore how AI is revolutionizing the digital landscape and transforming marketing tactics. So grab your headphones and get ready for a marketing strategy masterclass with Paris Talks Marketing. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, my guest is Andrea Stefan. Andrea has spent the last eight years in marketing agencies and client side, creating and executing SEO strategies, building SEO teams, and managing resources for organic growth. Now she's the SEO lead at Planable, a social media collaboration platform. In the last two years at Planable, her focus has been building topical authority from the ground up, setting up a healthy SEO foundation, and scaling content production without sacrificing quality. She started this year with 30,000 monthly organic visits, and now the website has over 80,000 monthly visits. By doubling the number of revenue-generating blog posts, they have seen a 250% increase in ARR from organic traffic alone. Okay, very impressive. Andrea, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Exciting to be here. I'm sure our audience is dying to know how this explosive growth happened. Before we get to that, I'd like you to help us bust a myth in SEO, particularly with content marketing. In your view, what is a commonly held belief around content marketing that you think is no longer true or maybe never was true? Help us to bust a myth. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I think I'm going to narrow it down to SEO a bit, just because that's my uh, field of action. But yeah, I see I see a lot of content marketers and uh, SEO specialists kind of overlook internal linking. And I know it's not a fun topic, maybe, or it's a pretty tedious task, I guess. But yeah, I think it's very underestimated. And I know that a lot of marketers don't think about internal links as powerful as backlinks. 
And I think that's why they're so easily overlooked. We, we've seen that firsthand, like we've, we've noticed the, the impact it can have on a blog post, especially when we have a blog post that has conversion potential and we want to give it a quick boost in rankings. We want to see mm-hmm. how it's going to perform faster than it would usually perform. Uh, we help it out with um, internal links from other powerful landing pages or blog posts that already have a good portfolio. And you can immediately see see the boost in, in rankings. So, yeah, I, I would say internal linking is very underestimated. Great. That's, I, I couldn't agree more, actually. I think that the nice thing about internal linking also is that it's fully under your control as a webmaster, unlike external link building, which requires a lot of outreach and sometimes payment. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why, mm-hmm. I know, it's a... It's a pretty important step on our post-publication checklist because we have this like two-step checklist, pre-publication, you know, we do all of our on-page optimizations. And then after the blog post goes live, we also do a, a few other things just to make sure that the blog post gets indexed fast and we don't even have to submit it to, to Google Search Console. Google finds it pretty fast because of those internal links that we add pretty, mm-hmm. pretty quickly. Yeah. Do you ever, since we're on the topic of internal links, there's a framework and I've talked about this on the show before. It's called a pillar cluster model. You're probably familiar with it. But for those listeners who, who aren't familiar, the pillar cluster model is a model for content marketing whereby you, you develop pillar pages, which are very, very high authority, in-depth pages around a topic. And then from that pillar page, you create related cluster pages or kind of like a hub and spoke. So the cluster pages are typically shorter and they go into more depth on a narrower topic that is related to the pillar. And then the link architecture is such that the pillar page links out to all of the cluster pages and then the cluster pages link back into the pillar page and the cluster pages also link to themselves. So if you diagram that out, what you have is a hub and spoke model. And when Google comes and crawls a website that has pillar cluster modeling, it naturally follows those internal links from the cluster pages into the pillar page. And all that internal link juice pointing to the pillar page tells Google that this page and the topic of that page is very, very important. And this website or this domain should receive topical authority around that topic. And then your pillar page presumably then will rank for a long tail of keywords that you didn't even target because of the link architecture. Did I get that right, by the way? Or would you? Yeah, you, you nailed it on the head. Uh, yeah, it's a very powerful technique and we, we do a, a loose variant of, of that. I would say we're not as, um, I don't know, focused on only linking to uh, a pillar page from specific subpages. Mm-hmm. We, we try to, to put ourselves in the user's place and we add internal links more naturally. Like we don't really have a framework or we, we're not super specific about what page links to what. As we read through text, the final time before publishing it, we just keep an eye out for relevant anchor tags. And that's how we insert internal links. And then we also make sure that all of our converting blog posts are supported by as many subpages or informational educational blog posts that don't necessarily convert. So we're trying to emphasize our, you know, ARR um, generating blog posts through as many internal links as possible. Mm -hmm. You said something that definitely caught my attention. You said the high converting blog posts. I think a lot of, this is also a very elusive goal of many content marketers, which is to prove the ROI from content marketing, because oftentimes 
the users aren't converting from the blog post. They might come to the blog post and they might convert several clicks later. They might convert several visits later or maybe months later um, in a way that you can't even attribute anything back to that initial blog post visit. But what what is your definition of a high converting blog post and how do you measure it? Yeah, so we look at signups and then we also look at how many customers upgrade to paid. So we have a very good attribution system in place. We we use inner trends and uh, we usually look at first touch and we can, you know, you, we can track them for uh, it doesn't matter how long uh, it takes for them to actually convert from sign up to to paid. We can still see that first touch, and that's how we actually you know quantify every acquisition channel. So you're using a first touch uh, attribution model for all yeah. channels. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned the name of a tool there, I think, but I didn't catch it. What was it? Yeah, Inner Trends. Inner Trends. Yeah, it's actually a, a Romanian company. Oh, okay. I'm going to check that out now before I forget. And that is an attribution software? Yeah. Um, it, it helps us with, with more than attribution. You know, we can uh, splice and dice data and look at cohorts. It's very useful to see like user behavior and what goals they reach. You know, it helps us with onboarding and many, many more things. By the way, one of my favorite, well, years ago, one of my favorite rank tracking tools was another Romanian company that you probably know, Advanced Web Ranking. Oh, Have I've never heard, heard of, that of one? them. No, no. Oh, okay. But that's... Uh, a Romanian company, and they uh, they have a great rank rank tracking tool. It probably does a lot more now, but I haven't used it in a while. But that's great to see this kind of innovation coming from Romania and from our region. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, let's now pull back and, and look at a higher level view of the whole process. To set the stage here, for those who might be watching, I'm going to do a screen share of what I'm seeing in Ahrefs for your organic traffic. So this is in the two years that you have been at the helm running SEO at Planable. Now, I'm sure that the trend line, I'm sure, is, is probably fairly accurate. The numbers probably are not, but doesn't matter. But when you started, I'm seeing about 12,000, and today I'm seeing closer to peaking up at about 80, 80 to 85,000 visits, organic visits. And I remember in the intro, 30,000, now at 80,000. So this is probably pretty pretty accurate. Is, is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty accurate. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's and just, content you, marketers dream to see a growth curve like <laughs> this. And if I if I look at the five year view, it looks even even nicer, really. But I mean, what what better for your CV than to show that? All right, here's where I started working at Planable, and I took over SEO, and here's where we are today. So let's talk about the process, Andrea. Can you just walk us through how you develop, let's say, for all the topics and editorial calendar, and then from there, is there a regular publishing schedule? Is there a any kind of a, a briefing, content brief or outline process? Um, who, who writes the content? Who edits it? How does it get published? And then how does it get promoted after that? Yeah, for sure. Well, that's a lot of questions. Okay. Yeah, that was a lot. I know. A lot to unpack. But yeah, just to give you a, an overview, when I onboarded here at Planable, um, you know, I my focus was even before getting to an editorial calendar, I wanted to have that very strong SEO foundation before we started doing anything. Yeah. And that meant I had to manually go through every piece of content, every blog post, every landing page that we had on the site and decide if it's useful, if it's bringing value, if it's, you know, getting visits, if people are spending time on page and decide if we want to keep it or delete it. And that was a great 
and tedious task, but it really gave me an idea of what we had live, what was performing, what was underperforming, and what we could just say goodbye to. Mm -hmm. So that's usually known as content pruning and feels like uh, spring cleaning for your website and it's it's very very useful and necessary because you you only want google to see like your valuable pages you you don't want to have any thin content on your site and you definitely don't want to have any content that was just written just for the sake of having a blog post so yeah a lot of work and effort went into laying down this SEO foundation you know we started mm-hmm. with content tuning i wanted to have a very comprehensive keyword mapping um, because right. Andrea, I'm sorry to interrupt, but can we stick yeah. on the content pruning a second? Because I think that's an important sure. step that a lot of content marketers overlook. Several years ago, I remember the, the thinking was the more pages you could get into Google's index, the, the better your traffic is going to be because it's more opportunities to rank. So publish, publish, publish. And over time that builds up. But the concept of pruning is actually that by saving Google's resources and even reducing the number of pages that Google indexes, it allows Google to focus its limited crawl budget even deeper into the pages that really matter most, which are the high converting pages, which you are measuring. And I'm interested to know roughly how many pages did you decide to delete mm-hmm. or what portion of the, of the blog post yeah. you determined was really not performing anymore and you either, you either redirected the page or, or deleted it entirely and yeah. what was left. So I don't remember the exact number, but it was at least 20 blogs that were, you know, uh, very old. Maybe some of them were just release announcements, you know, because the blog was being used for multiple purposes. And that's another thing you want to pay attention to. You just, you want to create a certain type of content and then you use the help center or use the resource center for announcements, press releases, notes from conferences that team members have attended. So I would say I felt super confident in deleting around 20 blog posts and it's okay if they become four of fours. Like I know people in the, in the SEO industry are very intent on not having any four of fours or all these redirecting things. But I think if it's not relevant anymore and there's no equivalent on your site, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if if a product has been discontinued or if something is just not timely anymore, I am more than okay with having photo ones on, on the site. But, and did, you, yeah. did you decide rather than to delete producing a 404, did you decide to redirect any that had some link juice and that you could pass to another page? Yeah, we did do that for a few blogs that were getting okay traffic, but weren't really relevant anymore. So mm-hmm. we are in the social media industry. And for example, um, there are a lot of platforms that you can use to schedule posts through Planable with. And these platforms like always change, I don't know, features and they, they come up with something new. So we did have a few blog posts that were specifically targeting features that Instagram doesn't have any more, for example, IGTV. So that one we redirected to something that's more relevant now and something that an IGTV user would want to use today. Okay. And did you, did you make a decision on some of those posts that they needed a refresh or a rewrite? Yes. Yeah. So we had this bucket of uh, blog posts that we wanted to either revamp completely or just create new sections for. We, we did a competitor analysis on some of them and we just looked at 
what our competitors uh, were doing, outranking us. And we came up with a, with a game plan and we assigned just these tiny paragraphs here and there. Uh, we assigned them to, to our writers just to add some, uh, some more substance and concrete examples into blog posts. Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of low-hanging fruit a lot of times with that whole process of, that we just talked about, content pruning and refresh. So you're either, before you decide to create any new content, you look at the existing content and say, what should we delete entirely? What should we possibly redirect because it has link juice that we can pass on to other pages? And what should we keep but refresh or update? And then you lay that foundation before you dive into an editorial calendar. I think that's a great starting point. How long did that take you? to go through this pruning process? I think that took us around three months just because we we didn't want to rush into anything. And I also, I'm super cautious when we make any kind of changes to the site. Like we try to do it in small batches. That yeah. way, if something goes wrong, it's easier to pinpoint, you know, something that we did and it's easier to revert maybe if we see some changes that we don't like. Yeah. That's always always a good approach to, to do it step by step and monitor a search console with every change. Yep. Yeah. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. The Paris Talks Marketing Show is affiliated with Hop Online, a performance marketing agency focused on high growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. If you like the flow of this conversation, you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at Hop Online. A discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways. We'll get to know your business goals, competitive landscape, and marketing needs. And you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, go to hop.online, that's hop, H-O-P, dot online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, back to the episode. All right, so I think, yeah, we've covered the content pruning pretty well. Now you've, you're three months in, content pruning is done. What was the result of the content pruning? Did you see, what, what kind of a traffic, did you see a traffic increase and what did it look like? Yeah, we did see a small traffic increase. We did, like I mentioned, a few, a few redirects and we saw a spike in those blogs that we redirected to. Um, mm -hmm. At the same time, we were doing very small tweaks here and there and actually republishing blog posts with the current date. And that was something that really drove traffic up. Just, you know, refreshing content, making sure that the facts are still correct. Again, we write a lot about social media platforms and they're like changing so, so many things. So it was super important for us to make sure, you know, that we had these tiny details that they were up to date. And not just because the search engines can read the, the content and they can figure out if you're right or wrong, but for the users, because we wanted to gain their trust and we wanted to establish ourselves as an authority and we mm. wanted them to find the right answer on the page. So there are several reasons behind these uh, refreshes and optimizations, but the thing that really, you know, moved the needle was refreshing and republishing with the current date. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, I think especially when it's a, it's a topic that evolves a lot over time, there's a lot of value in Google. Google will reward you in, in updating that. And I had one other question about the content pruning, but you saw, yeah, you saw the bump. And for SaaS websites like yours, I think content pruning is important when you're entering into a, a, a big website. So with a lot of pages, like maybe a large blog, a legacy blog. But at what point do you think marketers can maybe skip 
the content pruning process just because there's not that much content and go straight into new content planning. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure there are cases out there where you can just go into like content writing and, and targeting new new keywords. Um, I would say if if the content has been, I know, revised um, within, I know, the last nine, 12 months, I think it's it's OK to maybe not do content pruning as soon as possible and focus on new keywords or trending topics. Uh, but I would say that every piece of content should be reviewed like at least nine months or like once a year. Yeah. All right. So content pruning is behind us and now it's time to think about the future. Where do you start with keyword research or something else? Maybe persona? Yeah, yeah. yeah um, a, a bit of both actually. But mm -hmm. yeah, I was mentioning earlier that it was really important to have uh, keyword mapping in place. When I joined, not every blog post was targeting a single keyword. You know, we were trying to target the same keyword in two different blog posts. There was some keyword cannibalization going on. So we wanted to address that as soon as possible. And we wanted to have like this really, really comprehensive view of every keyword that we're targeting. And that gave us a better idea of, I don't know, the internal linking that we needed to build, the backlinking that we wanted to build, and how all of our efforts should gravitate around that main keyword. Um, so yeah, once we had keyword mapping in place, that's when we started doing even more competitor analysis and trying to find the gaps that we could uh, fill in. And that was a lot about building our topical authority because not all blog posts can be high converting or high intent. You know, you mm -hmm. also have to put out content that's informational and helpful and guides that, you know, people might not come on, on a guide and convert. You still want to build a reputation and earn the user's trust because mm -hmm. that's how they're going to remember you. And the next time they're ready to come to your site, they might be ready to convert. And that's when they land on that high converting blog post. They're ready. They, they've seen your content before. You've helped them with, with something, solving an issue. And, and now they're ready to, to sign up and use the product. Yeah, very, very important to think about the whole journey of, well, maybe upper funnel, middle funnel, bottom of the funnel. Most of the time when I think of blog posts, I think of that as, as top of the funnel, uh, education-based or awareness goals. Uh, let's talk about the content strategy part. Uh, the way that we do content strategy here is we start with persona definitions and problem statements. We try to understand the pain points and then, then we think about content that can solve the pain points of our target personas or ICPs. And this is a great time also to describe what Planable does and, and who are your key personas or ideal customer profiles. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Planable is a content collaboration and approval tool. Uh, we started out as a social media management tool, but at the beginning of this year, we, we had a new release. And you can now collaborate, leave feedback, suggestions, and approve any type of written content in Planable. Um, so think mm -hmm. about Google Docs, but better. Uh, mm -hmm. You can you can work on blog posts. You can work on press releases, ebooks, and any type of written content. And then you can also collaborate on social media posts and schedule those to eight different social media platforms. But yeah, we also started from ICPs, and that's where our customer support team really really helped us out. 
um, because they, they're always in touch with, with our clients and we really wanted to, to see how our clients are actually expressing their, their pain points and their needs. Um, so I always think about client calls or intercom chats as a real treasure throw because that's yeah. where you really see how, I don't know, what kind of language they use, how they phrase certain uh, questions. Um, and of course, I still hold age refs very dear, but sometimes, you know, you're not seeing really accurate uh, search volumes in any of these keyword tools. And I really like to just peek at intercom uh, messages and try to figure out how to phrase the pain points, how to write a really good blog post introduction that's going to mm-hmm. resonate with the with the reader and it's going to make them you know nod their heads in approval and that's how they're going to keep reading and you really get to the meat of the blog post yeah that's a great tip too it's customer support and chat so that you can speak the language of your persona and does that help you to actually understand who they are because i imagine i was, I was looking through the website just now and the the use cases here are so, so many because everybody is publishing content and publishing content on their website and across social media. So this is, uh, the use cases for marketers are vast. So you've got all marketers, all digital marketers. You can maybe divide them by in-house working in companies and agencies, perhaps. And beyond that, you have other ways of segmenting. But beyond saying that you can offer this tool to practically any content marketer or social media marketer, under the sun, and there are millions of us, what is the next level of segmentation for your persona? Yeah, so we we really went to the pain point and we tried to see what difficulties they run into on a daily basis. And we have found out that collaboration and approval and leaving feedback and suggestions are, uh, you know, the biggest pain points because... Mm -hmm. They usually happen on uh, a vast array of tools and and platforms, especially if you have a lot of people who are involved in the approval process, you know, a lot of people that you have to reach out to ask for feedback. You can have your boss, the project manager, the legal team, then external stakeholders. Think about Mm -hmm. everyone adding one business day to, to the whole process, and that can take up to two weeks, especially if you're using email or Slack or chatting on WhatsApp. So I think that's one of the biggest pain points that we we solve with Planable because you can do all of those into one dashboard. You can have multiple clients or team members come into there, leave suggestions, leave comments. You have visibility. You can look at the version history and you can check if someone has uh, left any details, any comments, and then you can finally ask for approval from anyone who needs to give you their thumbs up. And mm-hmm. you have everything in one place and you never have to do the back and forth that we all used to do over email. Yeah. I think it says it all by looking at your homepage headline, which says, if you plan content in sheets or task managers, then this is for you. So it sounds like you're speaking to people that They're not using maybe your competitors' products yet, but they're at an earlier stage in their evolution, just using Google Sheets, Google Docs, maybe a lot of back and forth over Slack or in a project management tool like uh, like Asana or something like that or Trello. And what you're saying is those aren't good enough and the process is still cumbersome and we can elevate you above sheets and task managers. Is that right? 
And we hear that from, from our customers a lot. We mm. hear how many tools they have to use just to chase down that, that final approval and to corroborate feedback from multiple places. You know, they, they have to have, I don't know, three windows open at the same time and make sure they have the latest dog version and make sure they, they didn't miss something that was said in an email two weeks ago. And I think that's where the real power of the tool is because it brings everything under one roof. And you, you don't have to stress out about missing a deadline or missing a, a typo because you have so many, so many people that are just looking at the final version at mm -hmm. all times. Great. So then we've got a pretty well-identified pain point and we know that there's a huge total addressable market. How do you then move things into, how do you get to a content editorial calendar? Yeah. So you've got keyword research, persona research, pain points. And now our goal is to get to an editorial calendar that you can execute against. How do you put well, that together? Yeah, so we, we chose to go with what we call epics. For example, you can schedule social media posts for eight social media platforms. Uh, so we identify these eight epics, like one per social media platform. And we focus on each and every one of them, starting from what we knew was going to be our top converting blog post and then supporting that with more educational, informational blog posts. And that's where we did a mix of top of the funnel keywords that were the educational blog posts that weren't necessarily going to convert, but that were going to help with topical authority and position us as experts. And then we, we left the, the bottom of the funnel keywords for that very high intent high converting blog post. And we did that, um, we, we kind of found a recipe that worked for us and we applied that to each epic. And we, we started really building and seeing, seeing results from this approach. And now with uh, the new release that we had at the beginning of the year, Universal Content, we took a very similar approach. We identified those really high intent keywords. And then we also, we didn't want to overlook like putting out valuable content that's, you know, educational and informational. So we're also writing content that we know it might never convert because we still want to build that awareness, uh, that trust. And we, we know how much Google values expertise and authority and trustworthiness. Mm -hmm. Let's uh, drill a little bit deeper on keyword intent and even keyword profitability. So, of course, everybody wants to go after high intent keywords because they convert at the highest rate. Uh, they're also the most competitive. When you look at the attractiveness of a keyword and you're trying to determine, is it, is it a bottom of funnel or middle of funnel or top of funnel? Um, I'm sure that you're looking at, well, you're, you're using common sense to infer the intent of the keyword. So if I put the word buy in my search term, I'm, that's probably high intent. If I put the word learn, it's probably more you know, top of funnel. There's the inference, there's common sense and in inferring the intent. Do you look at CPC data? Do you look at paid search data to determine if like the CPC is very high, then it has high commercial value? Definitely. Yeah. We do take CPC into account, but I found that the easiest way to determine the intent is just Google the keyword and, and yeah. look at what's already ranking and see what Google has rewarded. Because sometimes you have a listicle, sometimes it's a guide can also be a landing page or some, something mm -hmm. more in-depth, like it could be anything. 
And that's really how we start the research for any kind of topic or any kind of keyword. We just look in at the SERPs and we, mm. we look what Google has ranked already. We look at what they're doing right. And we try to beat that, create something even yeah. better, even more valuable. And it's been, it's been difficult to do that, but we are really leveraging our expertise and our insights because we know that's what's unique to us. We know that no one else has that. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of the skyscraper technique. I forget actually who that was, but basically go, go to the SERPs, look at the top three or top five, and you know you've got to do better. Yeah, that was um, Brian Dean from... Brian Dean, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So where were we in the process? So now I presume you all have a content editorial calendar. You mentioned a term called EPIC. Is that an acronym for something or what, what does that mean actually? It's just a different way of saying a category or a bucket. That's just how okay. we, we chose to, to call these um, categories, I guess. Okay. All right. And so we've got our content editorial calendar. Do you have a frequency or a cadence for publishing? Is it a certain number of times per week? Yeah, something? so we, we actually haven't nailed that down yet. We are trying to, to write 10 blog posts and publish 10 blog posts per month. It ebbs and flows just because we're still, you know, figuring out how to scale content. And we've gone through many iterations. At the moment, we have a team of five external freelance writers, and we have one editor, and we are creating our article briefs in-house. And with the workload and everything, you, you have to be flexible because uh, you don't always, you know, you, you can't always keep the same frequency that you like to keep. Mm -hmm. So the goal is 10 blog posts per month, but it can be six or it can be nine. That's usually the the number. Well, that's, that's really impressive, the kind of traffic growth that you've achieved with eight or 10 or 12 per month. That's, that's really impressive. These must be amazing posts. And let's talk about that content brief. That's an important step too. And I think a lot of marketing teams might skip over that. They might even refer to it as an outline, which I think doesn't do it justice. Walk us through a content brief. What does that contain? Yeah, for sure. So we went through so many iterations of our briefs and there was a lot of trial and error. We wanted to externalize this step in the beginning, you know, using either SEO specialists or copywriters. And we, we wrote very detailed documentation for them to follow. We laid out our expectations and we had like even video tutorials of me actually doing a brief just to teach them. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we, we did that for a while and we realized there was still a, a lot of back and forth between us in-house and the external collaborators. And we figured out that it would be best if we brought brief creation in-house because we, we released so many features for Planable and our content is so, we were really focused on making it high quality and valuable. And at the same time, we sprinkle in planable features and we try to let the product shine. And mm -hmm. that's been really hard for us to translate to an external collaborator who doesn't use our tool. Maybe we're just a task on, on a long list of to-dos for them. And we, we found out that the brief is super important. If you have that outline, you know, from the get-go, if you have the clear instructions, you really set up the writers for success. 
And we didn't want to leave that up to someone who's a freelancer. We wanted to bring that in-house. So right now, what we do is we start from a keyword. We do our due diligence. We look at the SERPs. We, we check who's ranking and what type of content they've created. We try to do something better. And we incorporate a few other layers. Like we, we like to go beyond Google. Sometimes I like to look at YouTube, TikTok, Reddit, and Quora. Uh, so mm-hmm. I just Google the, the specific keyword with each platform at the end in Google. And, and I try to hang out where the users hang out. And again, try to look at the language they speak, try to identify their pain points and more specifically how, how they phrase certain questions. And all of this goes into, into that brief. So instructions for the writer could be like something like, here's someone complaining about this on Reddit. Try to incorporate that into the introduction or into, into mm-hmm. a section. And we go even further than this. I think it's so easy nowadays to create content. Like anyone can go to ChatGPT, put in a prompt, click a button, and bam, you have a, a full-fledged article. So we were constantly thinking about how can we make our content even more valuable. And something we, we like to do is to reach out to subject matter experts and ask them for quotes, whether that's to refresh old blog posts or to really make a new blog post more substantial and more helpful. We always try to incorporate these like nuggets of information and we try to, to ask experts or people who have firsthand experience with something. We ask them for their opinions and we include those in our briefs that then go to the freelance writer so they can organically incorporate those when they're writing the article. Mm-hmm. That's great. And I was going to get, certainly had planned to get into the, the AI part of the discussion because I see the gloomiest way to look at this is that in the future, everyone is going to be creating content with generative AI, whether it's ChatGPT or Jasper or whatever else comes next. But ultimately, this for SEO, and is this going to really, really put a major dent in SEO? Is Google going to even rank a content that it can certainly detect was generated by AI? And if everybody's doing it, does this create a race to the bottom, really? Because, I mean, what, what is really unique anymore? What is your opinion about that? Do you think that that's the direction we're headed, that most of new content that's getting published now is going to be AI generated? And is it going to succeed? Is it going to get recognized and ranked? And does that make it much harder for people like us that are trying to make unique content? Yeah, it's very hard to predict. And um, it's such a hot topic at the moment on forums, on LinkedIn, in Slack communities, everyone's talking about it. And personally, I'm not against it. I think it's an amazing tool and I think it can really help you out. It can, you know, speed up research and make things faster. But I try not to, not to treat it as just going to ChatGPT, getting something and done. I think as long as you incorporate it into your workflow, and you use it maybe as a starting point or just for some inspiration, I think it's an amazing tool. Where it can get tricky is it doesn't add any expertise or true value to the content it produces because that's the the human layer that's missing. And that's exactly why we go to subject matter experts and ask them about their firsthand experience. And we try to add this layer of, 
humanity to every article. So I think we shouldn't be very worried about AI yet because it's still lacking this experience. I think what you said is really interesting is adding that extra layer of humanity. I think that's the key. And you get that not by scraping or otherwise curating what's already been said and what's already been documented online, but by asking people right now, by asking thought leaders about their opinion on something. My view is that a podcast is really a great way to do this also, where you can extract real thought leadership that hasn't already been necessarily said before or documented before, and then you can turn that into content. And that's why I think more and more that content marketing is going to be driven by live conversations, audio and video, and then it's going to be repurposed into written content. And that's the kind of content that is going to win and still rank in the SERPs. Hopefully people will still search Google also. I mean, that's another conversation. But I I do think that layer of humanity is is coming from getting people to speak it, actually, and not stuff that's already been written. I agree, yeah. And Google might not be, uh, you know, the best at identifying AI content right now, but I think users are, and they're going to catch on. They're going to notice that if content is, uh, doesn't contain anything actionable or something that's really helpful for them, they're going to notice that and you're going to lose their trust. So it can truly backfire, especially if you're a SaaS and you're trying to build your credibility and you're trying to gain the trust that users need to, to sign up or to buy your product. I think that's pretty high stakes and you, you shouldn't risk taking the risk. Yeah. All right. Let me see if I can summarize your process up until now. You started with housekeeping of content pruning. You shored up the foundation and then you you did keyword research. You built out personas. You developed an editorial calendar. You have a team of people in-house that are doing the briefs. Most of the actual content production against those briefs is done through freelancers. You are using AI to assist, but there's a big layer of uh, human input on that. And you're reaching out to subject matter experts, tapping into customer support, tapping into chat, and getting quotes from subject matter experts to sprinkle that magic pixie dust into the content. That all sounds amazing. So you publish the content, and then let's talk about promotion. Mm -hmm. Are you proactively trying to get links? How do you promote through social media? Is it doing a little bit of both? But how do you get that piece of content seen quickly? Yeah, it's a mix. We try to work new blog posts into our social media calendar. Uh, mm-hmm. We have someone who's helping us choose the best blogs to promote on social. And we also rely a lot on very, very thorough on-page optimizations that are helping us bring a piece of content on the first page fast. In terms of other promotion that we do, we also have a bi-weekly newsletter and we we sneak links into into the newsletter. We try to keep an eye out for relevancy. Like we never want to push content that wouldn't be interesting for a certain audience. We we mm-hmm. keep that in mind. And we also do link building. We have a, a network of partners and we can we can uh, request a backlink or we can inquire for an intro. Um, We try to do this cautiously. Uh, We're very, very picky with the site quality and we want the links to be relevant and actually helpful for the users because I think the approach that uh, describes us best is quality over quantity, always. Great. 
Well, this has been fantastic. Well, thanks so much for taking the time today. This was a great conversation. We got really into the weed on content marketing. And I think this is something that everyone would like to do better. And, and very few people have that organic traffic growth curve that Planable has. So congratulations to you and to your team for that. And you've, you've shared some really great tips for us. And I thank you very much for opening up and being transparent about that. Yeah, thank you for having me. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.